0: Our world has been turned upside down, and on The New Abnormal, we'll talk about the people who got us into this mess and how we'll hopefully get ourselves out of it. Hello, and welcome to another Sunday bonus
2: episode of The New Abnormal, and we thank you so much for being here. Today, we have an extra special guest with Katie Turr, who's, of course, a correspondent for NBC News and the anchor of MSNBC Reports. But today, Molly's going to talk to her all about her new book, Rough Draft, A Memoir. But first, let's have some fun. Alright, you guys ready to listen to some clips? Are we ever
1: <laughs> Oh we are. I mean we are, we are.
0: Okay, good. We very much are, Molly.
2: Yes, we love it.
0: Show favorite
2: Judge Box of Wine. Haven't had her in a while. She's got some theories on the all this Ukraine money and Hunter Biden. Oh Jesus Christ!
1: The United States. This is a sad commentary. He's got a gun. He's a sex addict. He's a drug addict. He was dishonorably discharged from the military. This is a guy. By the way, why did we recently send 44 million or was it billion dollars to Ukraine? Why, a couple of weeks ago, the cash? Why are we sending that to Ukraine? Why were we so late in sending ammunition to Ukraine? If if Hunter Biden is the guy who tells his father. What to do and when to do it, you have to wonder, is he behind the policy making with China, Ukraine and Russia, where he made millions? It is a sad state.
0: (laughs) Here's what I've decided, (laughs) guys. Let me tell me if you think this is good. I think we need to and I think Hunter Biden needs to agree to this. We need to give him to the conservatives. He needs to he needs to be Jesus and he needs to be given to the conservatives for our sins or whatever, (laughs) and they can do to him whatever they want, and then they're not allowed to complain about him anymore (laughs) and bring him up ever again and waste our fucking time with this guy.
1: I have to tell you, I'm so impressed with how much they think we care about Hunter Biden. (laughs) That's
0: what I'm saying. I know. Like
1: Anytime they're like, what about Hunter Biden? You're like, okay, lock him up. (laughs) Like, I don't
0: care. That's what I'm saying. Right. right.
1: That's yeah. exactly
0: what I'm saying. Yeah. Take them. Take them.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's <laughs> the thing. It's like, don't threaten me with a good time. Like, I don't care. I mean, you know, he's been on the podcast and, and I respect that decision. But, you know, that's where it ends.
0: They always think it's some. It's this huge gotcha for them. It's their <laughs> right. new Benghazi. It's right. like, you know, it's what about true. Hunter Biden? Fine. Everything you think Hunter Biden did.
1: Yeah, you can have
0: him. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> yeah. Court martial lock him. him up. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Throw him in gitmo. I don't and he needs to he should agree to all of this for the good of the country. He needs to sacrifice himself. Or whatever. He doesn't have to agree. We don't care. No, and if he doesn't, that's fine too. But I, I think he should. Yeah. And then and then we're done with Hunter Biden. You can't bring him up anymore. We gave you that one. And now you don't get to talk about him anymore. You don't get to what about him. Yeah. You know, every time one one of your people does something god awful, which is every 42 seconds
1: (laughs) listen I think that you know Hunter Biden it's by the way it's like when I was on the radio with this horrible uh guy who was screaming at me on Canadian radio and he was saying to me like this the January 6th committee doesn't do anything about inflation (laughs) that's what it's like it's like oh yeah well Herschel Walker has 15 children but what about Hunter Biden
2: As a content producer, what I could just never believe is that uh it's been years of her being on the air having these just rants like that, and they're like, Yeah, no notes, just keep going, keep doing that thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like it never gets better ever.
1: You guys, I just wanna say one thing. The five is a highly rated Fox show yeah. and sometimes beats one Tucker Carlson. Mm. In the ratings.
0: Yeah. yeah. And she's not the worst person on it.
2: <laughs> oh, no.
1: She's absolutely not. She's like the third worst person on it.
2: Well, <laughs> as someone who's known also for being pretty bad with their alcohol consumption, there is somebody whose reputation's beating her these days, which is uh, one Rudolf Giuliani. And he has theories on who's really behind January 6th.
0: Of the obvious point,
1: that this was uh, something that was put together by the left movement. Does it doesn't... It doesn't necessarily only mean Antifa it means others that were trying to 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 do anything they can to destroy any attempt that Trump had to uh, to uh, Rectify the massive voter theft It was clearly a frame-up
0: like Russian collusion like the innocent Ukrainian conversation On and on and on that means people are expert at trying to frame Donald Trump Trump. I just want to say, as an as a New Yorker, we need to stop having mayors.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair.
0: We need a full stop on on my city electing mayors until we figure out what the hell is going yes, on. Yes, exactly. No more
1: elections until we figure out what the hell is going on with our mayor yeah. problem. I I mean, Rudy is the worst one.
0: Andy L. Levy
2: is calling for a total and complete shutdown of New York mayors entering Gracie Mansion.
1: (laughs) No more mayors until we figure out what the hell is going on.
0: It's the only thing, I I think I've said this before, maybe on Twitter, but... We need every six months, a different bodega cat should be mayor. <laughs> and that's just how we should conduct our business because they-
1: They're too good for us, those bodega cats.
0: Well, that is true. they We could not ever meet their high standards, but my God.
1: When you think about people we've had as mayor, it almost negates any good qualities that the entire city has. That we have yeah. elected yeah. just- the clowniest of clowns.
0: I don't know how far back I would have to go in in. I mean, granted, I'm only like 32, but yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> I still, I, I, so I'm not even sure if in my lifetime we've had a, a, a decent mayor. Like Napoleon, I just,
1: around the time of the Napoleonic <laughs> Wars, there were good mayors in New York City.
0: Molly, do you miss do you miss Mayor Laguardia doing you know his, what? Go uh, fuck yourself. <laughs> reads? By the
1: way, I just would like to point out a much younger. Then Andy Levy, and he says this because it's witchcraft and trickery.
2: Okay, well, throw off the scent here. I'm going to also play uh, somebody else throwing off the scent. Rep LaMalfa, speaking of uh, last episode when we were talking about the backbenchers, (laughs) he has some thoughts on what's more important than the January 6th committee. So what are we doing? What are we doing? Chasing January 6th. Look at our border right now. We're under the current Biden policies— We're attracting the largest caravan ever of illegal aliens heading towards our border. The idea that we're going to get rid of Title 42 or just the general porosity of the border anyway.
1: They love that border. Here's the thing about the border. Biden, and again, this is not an endorsement of Biden, nor is it an endorsement of Trump, but Biden has Trump's border policies. They can't, Title 42 is not happening Nothing is happening. It's the same as it was under Trump, except there are no, they're not gassing people, you know. Uh, but that's it.
0: Yeah, I, I just, like, if you ever woke up from a coma and you put on the news and you saw someone mention a caravan, you would, at the very least, you would know it was an election year. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. yeah, yeah, Every two years, there's a caravan issue. And it's just, it's like clockwork. It's,
1: it's very true. It's happening. You know it because you see that the January 6th committee hearings are happening because they're talking about the caravan.
0: Yeah, it's just, it's a great distractor. By the way, I was curious where he was from, and he's from California's first congressional district, which you would think, oh, well, Okay, well, California shares a border with Baja California, which is Mexico, et cetera. So you would think, okay, well, that makes sense. Yeah, he's barely south of Oregon. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, the fact that California
1: has any Republican Congress people is a failing on our part as Democrats.
2: At least on gerrymandering. Yes. So speaking of there being two totally different realities, we often on this podcast complain about uh, one Merrick fucking Garland not doing his job. Well, I and Ted has some other thoughts on uh, what Merrick Garland is doing.
0: And Merrick Garland has become perhaps the most political attorney general in the history of this country. He's willing to weaponize the Department of Justice and FBI to target parents as domestic terrorists, but he refuses to enforce the law against the people f- flagrantly violating the law. And Jen Psaki at the White House encourages people, go and protest at the justices house.
1: I don't think she's doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I,
0: I, don't, I don't even, he's just, he is, I think he might be the most morally bankrupt person in the country. Like he's, he the most morally bankrupt uh, living American. <laughs> Is this Lion
1: Ted?
0: That was Lion Ted. Yeah, yeah. Because he knows. Because he's not stupid. He's not stupid. I mean, it'd be close. It's like, like, and he doesn't believe this shit. Like, Tucker Carlson, I'm now convinced, believes the absolutely ridiculous shit. I, I think he does. No, he I think doesn't. he believes a lot of it anyway. Uh, or at least believes the principles behind it. Principles in air quotes there.
1: He might be a racist.
0: Yes, Exactly. Ted doesn't believe any of this shit.
1: Ted is just trying to get famous. Like at this point, right? He does the podcast. He has this podcast. He goes on all the like Ben Shapiro style podcasts.
2: He has one at the uh, Michael Mills now.
1: Oh, he does even better.
2: Yeah, that's where half these clips of him come from. He sits there with that fucking moron, and
0: they talk.
1: The guy just wants to be famous, and you know, God bless. God bless. But, uh, yeah,
0: he sucks. I would just like to say, God, do not
1: bless.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's
0: disparaging our profession. Jeez, Molly. Yeah, that's
1: right. (laughs) Podcasting is serious business.
0: (laughs) I hate when people say, you have the same job as Ted
1: Cruz.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. BetterHelp.
0: Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash The New Abnormal today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash The New Abnormal.
2: Katie Turr is a correspondent for NBC News, as well as an anchor for MSNBC Reports and the author of Rough Draft, a memoir.
1: Welcome to the new abnormal, Katie Turr.
4: Molly, 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 Molly. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thanks for having me. We're always happy to have fancy anchor women oh, yes. here. Oh, So yes. fancy. So fancy. And also, we have this connection, which is that we are both edited by the same wonderful editor, Julia Chaffetz, at One Signal Press, which I want to say a because we both love her, and B because it's a it's a little bit of a conflict. So I always want to just like <laughs> say that right away.
4: You but, know, but truth be told, we became friends. Um, That's right before before that connection was made. <laughs> That's right, exactly. But you know, it's always I always feel like it's
1: good to know. It's good to know. It's good to know when you're interviewing a friend, and then it seems even more impressive when I ask you about things in the book. <laughs> This is like a real book. First of all, we interview people a lot where it's clear they haven't written the book or perhaps even (laughs) read the book. And so it is always nice. You know, this is like a real book with real writing and real stories in it. And I am particularly impressed by, I mean, this is probably pretty hard to write, discuss,
4: it was really hard to write. Let me ask you this because well no, I'll tell you this. I read you had an article about your childhood and your mom um and your dad. Yeah. I forgot which publication it was in. I think it, I want to say it was The Times, I'm not sure. And I remember reading it a few years back and thinking like this is really good writing. This is a really interesting story and it brought up the intention that I've always had or this, you know, foregone conclusion that eventually I would have to write down my own story of childhood, my own, my parents. Um, And I think that was, you know, a little bit of a, an incentive to push me forward with this idea when I found myself with a book contract and without the book that I was originally intended to write. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I had that too.
1: We have these very similar childhoods, I feel like you're a little younger than I am, maybe.
4: Maybe maybe a hair. Maybe a hair younger. I'm 38.
1: <laughs> oh, that's annoying. All right. Well, we'll still <laughs> accept you, even though you are five years younger than I am. But you have this childhood that is a media childhood, but in a very interesting and strange way. Will you tell our listeners about that?
4: So I grew up in a helicopter, quite literally, I grew up. <laughs> in a helicopter. I spent more time in a helicopter than I did in my own bed. And that is because my parents were helicopter news journalists. They pioneered the genre. If you watch television in the eighties or nineties, you saw my parents work. If you saw police pursuit, that was my parents. If you saw the Reginald Denny beating, The guy that got pulled out of the red gravel truck, gravel truck during the LA riots, that was my parents' video. If you saw OJ being followed by the cops on on that slow speed pursuit, that was my parents'. Any video that came out of Los Angeles in the eighties and nineties was most likely shot by my parents. They even had video of of Madonna giving my dad the finger on her wedding day (laughs) in her wedding dress with Sean Penn. Yeah, with Sean Penn.
1: Yeah. Were you in the helicopter for that or no?
4: I was not in the helicopter for that, unfortunately. I think I would have been thrilled, but maybe a little saddened uh, to see Madonna, <laughs> the material girl, not being nice to us. That is an amazing story. It is incredible. That's And that's just the beginning. I mean, like, he almost got into a fistfight with Sean Penn and Axl Rose. <laughs> My dad did it at the time. My dad got into multiple fights with police officers. One at one point punched my dad in the chest or the face. It's on camera. Why? It was a wild and tumultuous childhood. Wild and fun because we lived in a helicopter and tumultuous because my dad, all of that fueled his success, also fueled his a scary side of his personality, a dangerous and sometimes violent side of his personality. And Molly, can I just make a note on pronouns? My dad transitioned in 2013. My dad is now, Bob Turr is now Zoe Turr. My dad is a woman um, and I call her my dad because she is my dad. I've had this conversation with her about it. But when I'm talking about my memories before the transition, those memories are of my father as Bob Turr. And so that's yeah. when I use the he pronoun. After that, I, I use the she. I, I try to be as consistent as possible, just in full, full honesty, full disclosure. It's kind of hard to rewire your brain when you have so much history with the person. So no disrespect. I, yeah. I am trying my hardest and I want to get that out there.
1: Well, it's super interesting, too, because it is there are a group of men who have transitioned to being women in that later in life. Which is, I mean, because also he's this is he, isn't he sort of the same vintage as Caitlyn Jenner?
4: Yeah. And my dad would say that it's actually not surprising to have somebody who who maybe seemed very testosterone driven, very male seeming. He says that it's not surprising to have them um, transition sometime later in life uh, that that it, that mask is hiding a lot more, she says, at least.
1: And your parents are divorced.
4: My parents were divorced. They told me they were getting divorced on the day of my college graduation. Congratulations. <laughs> Congratulations. We are no longer <laughs> together.
1: Well, that was good. They stayed together for you to go to college. That was nice of them.
4: They, they did. The day I graduated, my mom showed up alone. <laughs> And I, and my dad was at a, you know, sitting somewhere else. And I said, what the heck, why aren't you guys sitting together? I mean, they had a rocky relationship too. Don't get me wrong. Right. And my mom said, I'm done. I'm leaving him. I got you through college. You're, you're on your own. Like I've, I've done my job. It's over. And it wasn't until much later when I, when I asked her, I said, well, you know, why that moment? Like, why did you choose my college graduation? <laughs> Maybe could you have waited till the next day? And she said, I, I couldn't. Because the night before, she had come home, and my dad was working on an edit for a documentary that he was working on. And she asked my dad how it was going, and he turned around and punched her in the chest. Like, no, Jesus it's not Christ. going well. He just turned around and punched her yeah. in the chest. And she said, I'm done with this violence. This is it. I'm not doing it anymore.
1: Oh, man. It's hard to argue with that.
4: No, I know. But, I mean, at the time, you know, I'm, I'm 20, 20, maybe 21. And it, for me, it felt like because I'd grown up in this very violent, tumultuous, erratic, inconsistent childhood with this inconsistent childhood, with this marriage that you know was volatile. And so for me, it seemed normal, like all of this seemed normal. And so when my mom decided to leave him on that day, it was kind of hard to understand why that was the breaking point, because there had been so many other instances in the past. And I, and I was, I was a dumb 21 year old kid who didn't really understand what she was going through. Yeah. I mean, I knew it was bad and I had tried to intervene and I got, you know, I got very angry at my dad at points and I confronted him when I was a teenager and I told him to fuck off and to stop it and to get out of our lives, punch me at one point. And I remember thinking like, wow, you've really crossed a line here. But even with all of that, Because it was so normal in my head, because it it felt like so much a part of just a relationship that even then I still thought, wow, I I wish you could have kept it together for longer to my mom, which is crazy. Which is crazy crazy. looking back on it.
1: You know, it's funny because it's like I also had one of those like insane childhoods. Like we had this stalker who used to live at the bottom of our driveway. I remember thinking like, this is normal. Like, this is what people do. Like, this is how people live. Like, you know, getting all this mail, that would be scary. Like, and it's funny, wait till your kids get older, because my kids will, like, complain about their childhoods. And I'm like, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, no. I'm like, uh, I'm like, have you met grandma? <laughs> I was like, now imagine she's your mother. <laughs>
4: I think that that's a really interesting question though and this is something that Tony and I my husband and I kind of struggle with because Tony also had a crazy childhood to you know put it diplomatically his his dad was a big time drug smuggler only marijuana oh. Good for him. <laughs> Good for him.
1: It's important to make that <laughs> distinction because I had thought, I mean, I feel like. No, yeah, but, it, but
4: at the time they thought it was, it's marijuana. It's not a bad thing. It's, you know, right. we're helping the world. We're not hurting. it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he was also just addicted to Coke. Right. Disappeared when Tony was 10. Tony's mom moved them to Maryland. He went from a lot to very little in terms of finances. Um, and his whole childhood was upended. His dad was also violent. and, so when we have conversations, we look at ourselves now and we think, you know, why are we the way that we are? Why are we two people who have, who have found each other and eschewed the erratic natures, eschewed violence, tried to be consistent with each other, are relatively calm, successful broadcasters? Like, how did we yeah. get to this? How did we overcome all that? And do we need to fuck up our own children a little bit more (laughs) to make them successful adults? But is their childhood going to be, is it going to be too normal?
1: No, that's crazy. I say this as someone who had a very fucked up childhood and then had kids who have a very normal childhood and are quite cloistered from all of that. No. No, (laughs) it's better for them to have a same childhood. (laughs) We are in the very, very small minority of people who don't like die of drug overdoses, who had our childhoods and like what for whatever reason. I mean, for me, I know I got out because I got sober when I was 19 for you, you know, who knows what it was that was the thing that got you out of that, you know, not being in that cycle the way that your parents. You know what I mean?
4: I think it was running away from the family in Los Angeles and just packing a bag and not going back. Wait, can
1: we talk? Can, can we talk about did. Keith Oberman? Sure. One of the things I love about your story is like you keep having successes, and people keep <laughs> being like, "Well, you're only here because of this." I feel like that's such an important metaphor for how women are treated today
4: i think a lot of women can relate to this a lot of people who are make excuses for their success um yeah i uh i dated keith when i left los angeles and i was running away from a whole lot my dad at the time was spiraling and was really depressed and was missed all in the book and i won't retell all of it but he at the time was spiraling and I I felt like he was, if I didn't get out, I was gonna drown alongside him. And so I I picked up and I I moved across the country and I didn't have anywhere to live. And I started dating Keith Olbermann and I, and he said, why don't you stay with me? And I said, great. Um, And I liked him, (laughs) I liked him a lot. I mean, I really liked him a lot. The guy was very smart. He was doing a show called Countdown. It was the early days of Countdown, mid days of Countdown, which I thought was incredibly smart. Yeah, and provocative. It's really smart. I mean, yeah. and, and the, in terms of broadcasting, he was unparalleled. I mean, he could write a beautiful script. He could deliver a beautiful script. He was funny. He could hold your attention and he was smart. And I was really attracted to the, the funny and the smart. And so we, we had a, a good relationship for a few years, broke up on amical terms, um, stayed friends for a while But that relationship followed me for a long time in my career. And to this day, when somebody tries to bring me down to say, oh, she's only in the job that she's in, they'll bring up Keith Olbermann. When they try to diminish me, they'll... And I get it on Twitter every single day. Jesus Christ. Some person telling me that I, you know, screwed my way to the top. Now I don't really care. Right. Now I roll my eyes. But there was a time in my life where where it really haunted me and it made me feel small and worthless and I found myself closed off to my colleagues. I didn't trust anyone. I assumed if you were being nice to me that you had an ulterior motive. To get to Keith Oberman.
1: No, I'm yeah. just kidding. It's so, it's so preposterous because, like, you're so much more successful than he is now. But I guess, like, you, you know, it's so the playbook is why I brought it up, because it is so the play, you know, the playbook of diminishing women.
4: I mean, Rick Grinnell who was a Romney guy and then a Trump guy. I think he very publicly said it on Twitter in the middle of the campaign. Like he had he tried to call to apologize to me when he was trying to get an ambassadorship. (laughs) Because he didn't want the negative coverage.
1: I don't know. It just feels like the kind of traditional diminishing woman playbook.
4: Of course, it's exactly. I mean, you felt it. Every every woman has felt some version of that.
1: Yeah. One of the things that I like to ask people, because I think it's important, is like, what did you learn when writing this book?
4: So I learned a lot. Um, I was really hesitant to write this book. I knew that it had to be written, but I and I told you about this. I had I have balls of anxiety that that are knots of it that are stuck inside of me, especially as this is about to come out, it comes out in a few days. We're, we're pre-recording this. And yes. And I'm nervous. I'm I'm really, really nervous. I have nightmares because I don't want to hurt my dad's feelings. Right. And there's that. And I also, and I know this is going to be hard for my dad to read. I know it's going to be hard for her to read. It would be hard for anybody to read. I also don't want all of that bad stuff to completely overtake a lot of the good stuff because there were and when you read it, you'll see this, there were really fun parts of the childhood, parts of the childhood that made me who I am today. And there are parts of my dad's personality and her drive that have helped me so much with where I am, am today, why I am in the position I am, why I'm successful, why I'm good at this job, why I could write a book. I also don't like the idea of being labeled a victim. I think that that's I don't want that to become an identity of mine. Right. But in terms of when I wrote the book, I learned I learned how I I started to learn how I really felt about my childhood, how I could have both anger and and frustration and and rage toward how I grew up, and love and compassion and halcyon memories about it. How you can have both of those things at the same time. And as I was writing it, I think it became clear to me that it's okay to be in the position I'm in now, which, which is a position of estrangement from my dad.
1: So interesting. I mean, we do, I was so sure I had forgiven my parents everything. And then they, my mother got, you know, memory stuff and I got just so mad at her again. So it is really a process, I think.
4: And I think it changes forever. I mean, it's everything and it's nothing. Yeah. No, parents are the final frontier of
3: of
1: just, you know, this kind of thing. But I do think I am I I do think that our kids that normal childhood is enough trauma that they don't have to go through what we went through to be <laughs> high functioning adults. And in fact, It's better if they don't, you know, Yeah. but it is complicated and so interesting. And you're back from maternity leave for a few months. And you're also people can watch you on MSNBC at two o'clock.
4: Yeah, they can. I have been back for a few months now, two o'clock, all about and then doing all sorts of special coverage now for the January 6th hearings. And the last chapter of the book is about the insurrection.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah fantastic thank you so much katie tur
4: molly thank you as well i love talking to you about this stuff because you want to know what we talk about this stuff when we're not doing a podcast (laughs) it's
0: true
2: on that note we'll wrap this episode of the new abnormal from the daily beast in future episodes we'll be talking to smart folks from the daily beast and beyond from media culture politics and science who will help us understand what's happening to our country and the world We hope you'll subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and share the show on social media. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you again on the next episode.
3: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.